changing the atmosphere. It's one thing. <laughs> it's one thing for you to be blessed. And it's one thing for you to enjoy the presence of God. And you should. But it's another thing for you to understand that you have the capacity and the ability by God to change the atmosphere. And God wants every one of you to know that you, you, you know, while the Bible says be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, so we're not supposed to let the pressure of the world, which atmosphere means pressure, of, of that which surrounds you. We're not supposed to let the pressure of the world conform us into their shape. But we're literally supposed to change the atmosphere. And God wants you to know tonight that as a believer, as one that's filled with His anointing, filled with His Spirit, that there is a capacity in you and a power in you to change the atmosphere. Hallelujah. John chapter 12. I'm going to take a couple of verses, a couple of different passages here and look at the same story from two different passages. John chapter 12, and look at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. That's very important that you that you notice these these very, these uh, uh, significant words that they are uh, noteworthy. Very costly, not cheap. Very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judith Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Said, we could have really got some money out of this stuff. Now listen. That sounds like a... Like a, uh, uh, a, a... A good steward. But... That really wasn't what was, what was his motivation. Listen what it says. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief <laughs> and had the bag and bare what was put therein. He was in charge of the money. <laughs> okay, now run with me real quick to Mark chapter 14 and we're going to look at the same story but we're going to notice that Mark adds um, some different perspective Mark 14 verses 3 through 8 and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper as he sat at meat there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard very precious now we know that the ointment was in an alabaster box. And she broke the box. Didn't say anything about that in the other place, but it does here. She broke the box and poured it on his head. Now, in the last passage we read, it said she anointed his feet. So she anointed him head and feet. 
And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Now we know who one of those was. It was Judas. For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Okay, so here we're looking at at an, a word that God has given me for this group of people and for this church. Changing the atmosphere. Number one, she had a ointment that the Bible says was very costly. It was in an alabaster box that she broke in order to anoint Jesus, which represents the fact that it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. She couldn't put it back together. She couldn't she couldn't just give a little bit and save the rest for later. It was everything. It was, everybody say this word, extravagant. It was extravagant. And the Bible says that she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, her hair, the Bible says the woman's hair is her glory. So, her hair represents the best that she had. Besides the fact that her oil represented the best that she had. But her hair, being her glory, represented her uh, ambitions, her desires, her intentions, her plans, her goals, her dreams. Everything about her. That's what her, her hair represents. And the Bible says she, she wiped his feet with her hair. <laughs> she took her glory and wiped his feet with her hair her glory in other words she brought let me say it this way there are a lot of people who are willing to give god their money there are a lot of people that will that will give god their money but won't give him their heart there are a lot of people that are willing to give god their money but they won't give him their glory in other words they retain control over their lives they decide what they're going to do with their lives. They'll give God a tithe maybe. Give God even some offering. But they still decide. This is what I want to do with my life. They retain control of their lives. They decide what they're going to do with their lives. They won't submit their dreams and their plans to God. She made his feet more important than her glory. What does feet represent? It represents the walk. What represents life. And so she was saying by this act, I would rather do your will, no matter how small, humble, or insignificant it may be, than to do my own will, no matter how great, high, and important it may be. See, true worship is costly. Everybody say the words true worship. The Bible says she brought a pound of spikenard very costly, it was expensive. It was, uh, most commentators agree that it was, <laughs> it was approximately a year's wages worth. That's a lot. She wasn't a rich woman, but she had this valuable ointment that was worth at approximately a year's wages. That's a lot. Yeah. And so, it was very costly possibly a year's wages now 
how many's ever read the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is an awesome book. And a lot of people will start reading it. They get lost in the symbolisms and they just kind of fizzle out and don't ever really read it. What you really need to understand about the book of Revelation is it is a manual on worship. The book of Revelation is about worship. It shows you the atmosphere of heaven. You see in the book of Revelation what is taking place in the heavenlies. It's an awesome book. In Revelations 4, 10 through 11, it says the 20, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and they worship him that liveth forever and ever. And the Bible said they cast their crowns at his feet. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. John 4 and 23 says, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. In other words, God is literally scanning the earth. Looking for people who worship Him. Not just churchgoers, worshipers. Not just people that are looking for a place to call their home church. Not just people that want to go somewhere on Sunday morning. But people that worship God. You can worship God in a barn. You can worship God in your car. You can worship God in the, you can worship God anywhere you're at. You can worship God. Because, because it's, it's not about the building. It's about the, the position of the heart. But the Bible says God is looking, seeking, earnestly seeking for those. There's something inside of God that desires worship. God created you to worship Him. True worship is costly. David said, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. In 1 Chronicles 21, 24, King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. Now, true worship changes the atmosphere. True worship changes the atmosphere. It releases heaven's atmosphere into the earth. True worship changes me. You need you you. Everybody say changes me. Say, but but before you can worry about somebody else, you got to worry about you. You hear people say, "Clean up your own backyard before you come telling me what to do with my yard." You know, and and there's that's, so there's a lot of truth to that. True worship changes me. You can't change somebody else until you've been changed. True worship changes me. True worship changes the atmosphere. True worship releases the anointing of the Holy Spirit. See, true worship releases the anointing. Oil is a type of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. In Deuteronomy 33 and 24, and of Asher, it says, Let Asher be blessed with thy, with children. Let him be acceptable to his brethren. Let him dip his foot in oil. That is symbolic of walking in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, Paul said, let us walk in the Spirit. Dip your foot in oil. Walk in the Spirit. Walk by the anointing. Live in the anointing. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brethren. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now, remember what I was talking about this woman when she poured this oil out on Jesus. 
that they they said why was this waste of this ointment made true worship uh will cause people to talk <laughs> true worship will cause people to talk what happens when somebody really worships god people will look at him and say you don't take all that I was in the church, this is some years ago, and I was actually preaching the revival. And we had a good revival going on. And there was a young lady in the front of the church. And this this young lady was like she was on speed. She was all over the front of that church with a tambourine. I mean, it's, I mean, she didn't disturb the service during the quiet time when it was time to sit down and be quiet. She knew how to sit down and be quiet. But as soon as people were praising the Lord, she was extravagant. She was outrageous. It was irritating me, I'll be honest about it. I wasn't used to that. Everybody else was pretty sedate. Everybody else was pretty, pretty normal. <laughs> And this woman was was outrageous. I was thinking to myself, why doesn't that pastor do something about this woman? Because she's disturbing the service. That went into about, oh, I don't know, three, three nights of the revival. And all of a sudden, this woman, it's time for testimony. She starts testifying. She starts testifying about where she came from. She starts testifying about what God pulled her out of. About how much she loved God. How thankful she was for God. And for what He had done for her. And how He had delivered her. And how He had set her free. By by the time she was through testifying, I wanted to grab her tambourine. And I wanted to run around the church. And and all of a sudden I realized realized why she was doing what she was doing. She She had retained the spirit of thanksgiving. She was thankful. She was extravagant in her worship. And she did not care what anybody said about it or what anybody thought about it and it changed my whole attitude because I began to realize that it was I began to realize that she was just giving God everything and we weren't used to seeing that we're not used to seeing somebody give God everything we're used to seeing people measure it out in small doses And when true worship shows up, when extravagant worship shows up, it exposes hypocrisy. See, Judas was always a thief, but it didn't show up. Until true worship showed up. Judas was a thief at heart, (laughs) but it didn't show up until extravagant unbridled worship showed up see when 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 worship shows up religion gets exposed when worse when true worship religious people get uncomfortable religious <laughs> true worship exposes hypocrisy <laughs> True worship exposes vain religion. Now you've got to understand that 
that you can be religious without being a worshiper. You can be religious without being a worshiper. What is religion? What is religion? It just means doing something uh, faithfully or consistently, routine. You can be religious about anything. You can be religious about going to gambles. You can be religious about going to IHOP. You can be religious about golfing. You can be religious about fishing. Somebody said, man, man, his religion is the golf course. You know, because it's what you do consistently. It's just what you do routinely. You can be religious about anything. So it doesn't mean you're a worshiper because you're religious. So when true worship shows up, it exposes vain religion. See, you have to understand that, that religion cannot, cannot worship God. It, it, because, I'll tell you why. Because see what religion is. Religion is man's attempts to get to God. But Christianity is God reaching down to man. Do you remember the, remember the, the uh, Tower of Babel? They said, we're going to build a tower that will reach into heaven. That's religion. By our ability, by our effort, we're going to get to this place. But religion can never reach God. Religion can never get into the presence of God. Only worshipers. Because, first of all, God has to touch your heart. And true worship always exposes vain worship. It it exposes religious hypocrisy. Religion cannot truly worship God because religion worships self. Religion worships self-wisdom. It worships self-works. It worships self-righteousness. That's what religion does. In the the book of uh, Matthew 15... In verse 7, it says, Ye hypocrites. He's talking, to <laughs> He's talking to some church people. He said, Ye hypocrites. Did my wife say earlier she'd rather go to church with a few hypocrites than to go to hell with them? He said, You hypocrites. Well, did he, Isaiah speak or prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. And honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me. He said they are going through the motions. They are raising their hands. They are moving their lips. They are clapping their hands. See, you can do all that and not worship God. You can even get on your face, lay on the ground, and not worship God. Because he said, they draw near to me with their lips. Oh Lord, I love you. They draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. True worship is... Not an experience. It's a way of life. You can't come in here and just have a worship experience if you're not a worshiper. You understand what I'm saying? 
That's what my wife was saying earlier. She, she could have preached this. She almost did. So when the, worst, when, the, when the box was broken or the seal was broken, all the contents had to be used at once. There was no way of resealing the, the box. There was no, no way to measure it out small amounts to spread its use out. It was all or nothing. Now, if, if we took that premise and we just went from that premise that, it, that true worship is all or nothing, I wonder how many times we have truly worshipped. Not long ago, I saw someone in extravagant worship. I saw someone who just didn't care what anyone thought about them. And they were just worshiping God. And I heard comments. What's all this about? What's all that about? What's up with that? <laughs> See, because, because when, you, when you give it all, it's going to expose those that are just measuring it out in small increments. Yeah. See, when you give it all, the ones that are over here just measuring out in, in small increments, you know, they're going to they're gonna look at you like, yeah, it don't take all that. You, you, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to be like that. You know, you're going to extremes. Yeah, that's extremes. Yeah, it's extreme. Well, wasn't it extreme what Jesus did? Wasn't it extreme that he went all the way up that hill carrying his own cross and they nailed him to that cross and he, the Bible says, you don't take my life, I give it. I lay down my life. But he said, if I lay it down, I'll take it up again. I'm telling you, it's extreme what he did. Does he deserve our best? Worship. True worship. Worship. I'm talking about changing the atmosphere. Changing the atmosphere. Changing the atmosphere. True worship is costly. She broke the box. You haven't truly worshipped until you've wrapped his feet in your hair. What does it mean? Until you've embraced his will as your sovereign purpose. Until you've laid everything down at his feet and said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. See, there, there are people, I'm going to tell you, there are people that are afraid. They are afraid to do that. They are afraid to come to God and just open up everything and just break the box and just lay it before God and say, not my will, but thine be done. Because they're afraid God might ask them to do something that they don't want to do. And you can't worship until you've laid your will at His feet. You can't worship until you have surrendered your will. The highest level of form of worship there is is when you surrender your will to Him. Praise is the outer court. It deals with outward expression. It's important that we have praise. It's important. You clap your hands. You stomp your feet. You move around. It's important. It's the outer court. It deals with our expressions. It deals with our emotions. It deals with that part of us, that outer part of us. But, but worship is the inner court. And worship deals with the hidden man of the heart. And, and, and see, this is, this is where you get a dividing line. I, I, <laughs> like when we're having our praise time in the service, 
You can look out over the congregation and you can see everybody's in the, the praise part. You know, because anybody can do that. Anybody can get in the outer court. It's open to everybody. Anybody can get in the outer court. But, 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 but when we move over into that area of worship and, the, and, and everything changes and, and, and the, the, it, we switch gears in the Spirit, then you look out and you see the separation. You see some that stayed in the outer court. You see them because they look around and they're, they're just lost. Like, you know, it, it's not, you know, everything shifted. Something happened, you know. They're, 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 they got separated from the crowd. They got separated from the group. And, and, and sadly, most of the time, the ones that really move in to that place of worship or behind the veil is, is the minority. It's the small group. It's a few. It's not the majority. The desire of God is that the majority, that we all are able to move into that place together. That's the desire of God. That's the, that's the intent of God. That's the purpose of God. He doesn't want to leave anybody out. But see, praise is the, it's the outer court. It deals with the outward man. It deals with our expression. But worship is the inner court. And it deals with the hidden man of the heart. And when, when you come into a place of worship, it forces you to examine the motives and the true conditions of your heart. And that's why, that's why a lot of people aren't willing to move into that place of worship. Because when you get into worship, you start looking at your heart. You start, see, in the light of His holiness... In the light of His glory, in the light of His presence, in the light of His holiness, you see who you are. And people that don't want to look at their heart won't worship. But but listen, but a true worshiper loves the atmosphere of worship because a true worshiper knows the purer my heart is the greater is my capacity for an intimacy with God and so a true worshiper says search me O God know my heart try my thoughts see if there be any wicked way in me cleanse me hallelujah I want to be pure oh I want to draw near to you I want to see my heart so I can be changed so I can draw closer to you and have a more intimate relationship with you. See, a religious praiser will stop at the veil because they don't want their heart exposed. Judas was a thief. <laughs> but it did not become manifest until unbridled worship was manifested. When unbridled worship was manifested in His presence... His heart was manifested. The truth, listen, I'm going to say something strong right now. The truth is, anything that steals our love, our passion, our devotion, our hunger, and our worship of God is a thief. I don't care if it's family, if it's job, if it's career. 
If it's church, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what you're putting there. If it steals your devotion, your time for God, if it steals your love for God, your passion for God, your hunger for God, if it quenches, if it, if it quenches that, that fire and quenches that hunger and quenches that desire and, and it, and it, and it takes that place, that is a thief. It's exactly right. Now let me say something else. If we allow things to steal our anointing of worship, this is what this woman brought was an anointing of worship. It was her oil, her gift. He didn't make her do it. She wasn't forced to do it. Nobody held a gun on her. She brought it. It was her offering. It was her anointing of worship. Her anointing. Oh, hallelujah. She Come on, lift your hands for just a minute and let's thank the Lord right now. Thank Him for your anointing. Thank Him for your anointing. Every one of you have an anointing. Something valuable, something costly. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If we allow things to steal our anointing of worship that is to be poured on Him, then we are as guilty a thief as Judas. Judas was a thief. The Bible says he was a thief. It didn't say he just had theft tendencies. It said he was a thief. That means he stole. And if we allow things to steal our anointing, then we become a thief, just like Judas. Because we have actually been, we're, we're actually the ones that are holding back what belongs to God. We're stealing what should be poured on Him. Wasting it. John said, the house was filled with the odor, the fragrance of the ointment. In, in, in other words, in actuality, the house was filled with the essence of worship. The house was filled with the, with the essence of worship. Let me say it this way. One worshiper. Everybody say one worshiper. One worshiper. One. One worshiper. Change the atmosphere in the whole house. One. The house was filled with the odor. See, I'm talking about changing the atmosphere. You have within you the anointing that God desires. And when you understand that you have that anointing inside of you, you have the capacity, 
You, you as an individual, you have the capacity to change the atmosphere wherever you go. When you walk into this house, you bring the anointing with you. You have the capacity to change the atmosphere in this house. You don't have to wait on somebody else. You don't have to wait on this one or that one. You don't have to wait on the crowd to all agree and come together. You are a worshiper and you have the capacity and you have the ability to change the atmosphere by the anointing that's in you. One worshiper changed the atmosphere of the whole house. One worshiper. One worshiper. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Bible says there is liberty. There's liberty. Worship brings us into the presence of God. Worship brings us into the presence of God. And when we come into His presence... In His presence, there's joy beyond measure. 